Hi, and welcome to one of our experts in our series. I actually saw something that Jake Melton was doing on LinkedIn, and I thought it was really interesting because it ties into the whole Dreams Recycled kind of concept of the idea on how I got it to where it is. And so we're thrilled to have him. He um, is the best-selling author of Minimalize to Maximize Your Happiness, or in other words, How to Cut the Crap. Um, he is an author, coach, speaker in the mental health field, and he helps leaders and companies address mental health and wellness in the workplace, which is really, really important, right? There's not enough stress put on this. So welcome. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Tiffany. I've got to be here. <laughs> so tell us a little bit how about how you got into this, because I obviously am not from America. I'm English. And I think one of the biggest things I realized was different about America when I came here is just the sheer amount of stuff humans have. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny that you say that because what I've heard, at least over in Europe and stuff, is obviously a lot of living spaces are smaller. I've always heard the refrigerators are smaller. And, yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of times they'll go down and buy fresh food, whereas here in America, we'll go to, a, you know, a Costco and by weeks worth of bulk and we you know always have tons of storage and that's uh, that's from what i've heard that's what it sounds like uh, you know a big difference is in in the amount of stuff that we have and we keep around but for me i is being one that speaks on mental health and bringing the awareness into the workplace and into our personal lives and how we can maintain positive levels of mental health and wellness my story goes back to when I was younger. Um, mm -hmm. when, when I was younger, I was having a lot of these uh, physical tics that would mm -hmm. demonstrate themselves as I got older. When I was 16 years old, I was actually diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. And for me, it, being 16 years old and diagnosed with something that actually has no cure, that is a neurological disorder, that that kind of started my whole path on experiencing what mental health and illness was like. Mm. And because probably at the time you'd probably never heard of it, right? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, well, I did hear about it. And the only mm. things I heard about it was there, there were videos out on YouTube uh, with people who are spitting out curse words. And, and uh, there were a lot of, videos making fun of people with Tourette's and especially those with verbal tics who were sounds right. or, you know, but I was diagnosed with motor tics. And so I didn't know anybody that had had this. I hadn't really read or seen very much about it. And yeah, finding out that I had something like that at 16 when I was, in my opinion, <laughs> very popular in high school. I had a lot of friends. I was acting. So I was always up on stage. I was always performing. I was also playing sports but, you know, so having that come into my mind and knowing that I was, I felt broken and I mm -hmm. felt like something was wrong with me or defective. Well, and, any differences, right? Every kid I yeah. know at my children's school, they all wear vans. And I say to them, why? And they're like, because everyone <laughs> else does. You don't want to be different, right? You just, that, yeah. that's a very impressionable age. So I can see how that would be very difficult. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's extremely different, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So for me, 
um, it was just something I, I struggled with for a long time. I never really expressed uh, my experience. I didn't want people to know about it because it was mm -hmm. so different and weird. So I kept it uh, low key for a long time, even with, you know, cousins and even some of, I would say, close friends. I didn't even let them know about it until I got older. Well, as, as I grew up, I went to college. I met this girl who I fell in love with on the spot. and before we got too serious into dating, um, mm. it might've been even the second date. I said, Hey, I want to tell you something. Cause I always had a concern. I would never get married and have a family because I had Tourette's. Aww. And I said, I have Tourette's syndrome. I just want you to know that. I don't know if that changes anything. And she kind of looked, she looked at me like I was crazy and told me that that wasn't anything that was going to stop how she felt or, you know, that she wanted to spend time with me, whatever. Well, she's obviously, I ended up marrying her and Aww, we that's have, story. yeah, we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and they're beautiful. And, you know, growing up thinking that I would never have a family, let alone a beautiful family and everything would be okay. Mm -hmm. Being able to actually have that and come an experience that was just a, a miracle for me. And I also didn't do very well in school because of this Tourette's growing up. It was hard for me to focus. It was hard mm -hmm. for me to concentrate, to even keep things in memory. And I ended up being able to get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. I'm going to go for a PhD at some point. So I was able to overcome that. Mm -hmm. And in well, high school, in, by the way. <laughs> in what? What subjects in? Uh, my bachelor's was in strategic communications and my master's was in organizational psychology. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So well, that kind of ties into what you do now, right? It does. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, and you know, in high school, I actually wanted to be a public speaker. I didn't know if that was the route. I wanted to be an actor or a public speaker and things obviously changed as I went to college and things like that. But again, a lot of people were, wondering how I would ever be a public speaker with Tourette's because it's you know such an evident because uh, you I have guess, no control over it right you don't I, know I don't I don't or could happen would happen exactly yeah so Tourette's is, is made up of involuntary tics mm -hmm. motor or, motor or vocal mm -hmm. and yeah so um and and with let me say this too with Tourette's and this is where more of this mental health experience comes in as I got older, I got into college, started a family, started dealing with more and more anxiety and stress in life. I was actually diagnosed with anxiety. I was diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with some forms of OCD and ADD as well. So I had, I was really just going through all of the abbreviations. That you and all the acronyms. It, I, all the acronyms, yeah. Um, and, for, and for me, I was meeting with a psychiatrist. I was meeting with a psychologist. I met with a neurologist. I was on medication since I was 16 and first diagnosed. I had all these things going on. Um, when I was 14, my dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And I was, I'm the oldest of five kids. So I was 14. My youngest sister was born two months before my dad was diagnosed. And moving forward again, sorry to keep going back and forth between past and and no, it's okay. Later on, but um, my dad ended up passing away in 2014, two months before we had our little girl, which would have been the first grandchild. Oh. And I was the only child not there. I was actually in a different state for the summer. And 
after that happened, I, that was the darkest, most difficult time for me ever. Because um, loss, right? Loss. It, yeah. <clears throat> it's all very, very difficult to handle anyway. I mean, for the strongest, you know, mentally strongest person on the whole planet, any kind of loss or adversity is so difficult. And obviously losing a parent, a loved one, a child, a sibling is awful. It is. It is awful. And, you know, we always knew it was going to come. Um, mm. Obviously, you don't know what day and what time, but even though we knew it was going to come, you're still never ready for it. And for the longest time, I would find myself at the cemetery a lot. We live close by. I would spend a lot of time there. Mm. I was ex having an extremely difficult time um, enjoying any parts of life. I was also not doing very well in school at that time. and. I actually, I went in and, and talked about some of this with who I, with the psychiatrist I was meeting with, and I actually was diagnosed with PTSD and wow. post-traumatic stress disorder. From your, from your from, passing? Yes. Okay. And I had no idea that was a possibility. I did not, you know, most people think with PTSD, it's war veterans who come back and they've had shell shock or, mm. you know, really, I mean, for me, this was a... a a terrible, terrible experience, but you would think people with PTSD experience even worse. Mm -hmm. So um, having that was, it made a lot of sense to me and it, and it kind of gave me a little bit of, bit more clarity of why I was feeling how I was feeling mm -hmm. along with everything else. But yeah, because um, sometimes that's what we need, right? We need validation that what you're feeling is normal, that there's a yeah. reason where it's coming from and everything that's going on. Right. So even though I was really unfamiliar with it, knowing that that was causing a lot of how I was feeling, um, mm. gave me a better idea on how I might approach it and, and try to improve it. And so I was again in therapy, taking medication during this time. And right after this happened, I turned on Netflix mm. and I saw the documentary, the minimalist. Have you seen that? Uh, no, I have seen bits of it. I don't think I've ever sat still enough to watch the whole of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm like um, all over the place, but. Oh yeah, no, I don't blame you. Um, I turned it on and I immediately connected. I've, for me, my style has always been very minimalistic, but I didn't ever know that's what it was called or what it was. Yeah. I've always loved living more simply and having less um, in my life, mm -hmm. but coming to terms with this documentary really made me recognize that, Hey, you know what, this is really cool. I should look more into this and start applying some of these principles to my life. So I, I did. Mm -hmm. And some of the biggest things that I learned from this and in, in, in this journey in the last four or five years of going through minimalism is it isn't about living with minimal amounts of physical things. It's not about, you know, not acquiring a lot as far as possessions go, but, it's getting rid of anything in your life that isn't making you happy or that mm -hmm. isn't helping you progress. So anything that causes you added stress, anger, bitterness, frustration, jealousy, get rid of it. Right. right. And, uh, and for me, the hardest thing to let go of were some of the relationships that were toxic or some of those relationships that were, uh, I was holding onto and were dragging me, even though, you know, life was mm -hmm. moving on and I couldn't keep those relationships up anymore. Mm -hmm. So that for me, letting go of some of those, 
and letting go of other things in my life and just cutting out the stress and, and things that were causing added anxiety, that made a bigger difference for me and actually helped me more than the medication and therapy did. Mm. No, I can believe that. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know what we do. We are a divorce community. We help divorce yeah. in a million different ways. And it's one of the philosophies, and like I said at the beginning, why we connected with you, is I think it's just such an important part of the divorce process that if you're going to recycle your life and you're going to move on in a kind of different, healthier, happier path, part of that obviously goes with getting rid of the stuff, getting rid of the people, letting go of the anger, letting go of the jealousy, letting go of the what ifs, which obviously a lot of divorcees struggle with, you know, what if I had done this? What if I was, you know, 10 pounds lighter or million dollars richer would someone have left or not left or whatever. And so obviously it's a big part of our philosophy. So what would you tell the divorcees that are watching? Like how can they practically go about letting go of toxic people? You know, the first thing I would say is you just have to be patient and know that it takes time. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we'd all like to let them go overnight and just move on. But some of those, especially the ones that mean the most to us, even if we have to let them go, it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. And we have to be patient with that process. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one thing I'd say right off the bat. The other thing is, is doing it in a way where you don't necessarily have to, especially depending on who it is, if it's a family member, or if it's an ex-spouse, or if it's an, I don't, It's often a, a child, combo of, yeah, yeah it's if, often if it's, a combo of the ex-spouse, the ex-family, the friends who have not been very supportive, the, you know, when you're under a lot of duress or adversity or you're grieving anyway, the last thing you need in your life is any kind of emotional vampires or toxicity. And I think sometimes in our daily life when everything is going good, we put up with more than we should because mm -hmm. we can. But then when we're not in such a good spot, we can't put up with it anymore. But in actual fact, that's a blessing because if that's the impetus to let go of those people, get rid of them, your life obviously takes on a better kind of tone overall. Yeah, I agree. And the, the other idea I had with, with this is you don't necessarily have to cut the strings fully. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to just, you know, take out the, take out the trash and throw them outside and never talk to them again. There, there are definitely uh, strategic ways of talking with them less or, you know, not being in the same places as them. There's things that you can do. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, don't stress yourself out that you're going to, you know, if you run into them in the grocery store, you're like, you know, you're going to, it's going to be super awkward. You don't know what to do, but just uh, slowly letting go and putting the space between you. Mm -hmm. And I think eventually and inevitably that will create that barrier. And then you can, you can let go easier at that point. Well, and it, it to me anyway, it ties into setting the boundaries for everyone. Mm -hmm. right? Yep which also maybe when everything is going good is not so important, but when you're completely overwhelmed with the divorce process and, you know, feelings of loss and grief, it really is imperative that you set up those boundaries for even the people that you're going to keep in your life. Not unless the ones that you're going to get rid of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I agree. So what, what's the other parts of your philosophy? So number one, you, you think it's healthiest to kind of let these people go, those toxic people go yeah, slowly these... away, minimize their effect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel, for me and, and 
uh, this has been the case for a lot of people I know as well. It's but for those that are really attached to relationships that really can put a damaging, uh, you know, damper on your emotional state and mm -hmm. your mental capabilities. So that's, that's one of the biggest things. Another one is obviously letting go of the physical clutter. So if you, you know, if you're living in a house where, or you're working in an office space that just has clutter everywhere, even if you think it's organized clutter, the more that you have, the more overwhelmed your mind psychologically can be. And so if you're, if you're working or you're living in a space that's clear of this, your mind is also going to be clear of this. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's definitely been my experience. Um, I mean, if you think about if, if you just closed your eyes right now and thought about a desk with papers all over it and cups everywhere and, you know, it's dusty and working mm -hmm. at that desk as opposed to a clear desk, you got a nice plant or flower in the corner, maybe a picture and it's wiped clean of dust. I mean, there's, there's, that's going to affect the way you focus and work. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I can't, I mean, I, over time, I'm the, that person that I can't even sit on the sofa <laughs> if yeah. it's like there's mess in the room because I just, I've, I've kind of trained myself and, and I don't know how much you know about my story. So I'm going to bore you for a second. No, you're not. No, I want to hear it. <laughs> so, so my story started because I couldn't sell my own engagement ring. And so I had this dream and I couldn't sell it. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to sell my ring and everyone else's stuff in their divorce on my website which is obviously what i did but what i did in real life is before this and i didn't even know what i was doing i just had this overwhelming urge i was sitting in my house it was the same house that i'd been married in for 15 years um it was full of all the furniture all the paintings all the everything else the you know object dars and all the other junk you collect and um everything had some kind of memory of my old life, my ex, my previous marriage. And I, and I remember just being like, I have to get all of this out of my house, right? <laughs> I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just felt like there was something really powerful about that. Like not sitting in the ashes and the relics of your, you know, past relationship or failed marriage or, you know, for people even worse, if it was abusive or whatever, because I really do believe that things hold thoughts, mm -hmm. right? I agree. If you're, if you're looking at a painting and you know you got that painting on, you know, at your honeymoon on Vienna, subconsciously, every time you walk past that painting, you're being reminded of it. Mm -hmm. and, and so I went the extreme route and I got this, the biggest dumpster you've ever seen on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it outside my house and I spent probably a month and I threw away almost everything I could except for things kids needed. And wow. Yeah. And it was so empowering to me that I could let go on a physical way because, you know, we talked about kind of letting people out of your life and, you know, we're all very kind of emotional. We say like, oh, just let it go, move on, forgive, whatever. But it's a practical way that everyone on the planet can do. They physically have the power to take something that doesn't hold good memories that, like you said, doesn't bring you happiness, doesn't bring you joy take it to the dumpster, take it to the trash, goodwill, and of course, dreamsrecycle.com. <laughs> and, uh, and that kind of is really what it's about. It's the one thing that we all hold power over doing is letting go of physical items. Yeah. 
as you said, extremely empowering and freeing. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that. And, it, you know, it, some of those things can be extremely hard to let go of. And, but, you know, in a case where it's actually, maybe it is something that you don't necessarily need, but it does make you happy or it does bring about good memories. People ask me, do I keep this, even though it's taking up space or I'm not Mm -hmm. using it, but it still makes me happy. And I actually tell them, yes, most minimalists will probably say no, but I say Mm -hmm. yes, just, and I, and that may be because, you know, my dad passed away and I, I've kept things of his or things he gave me that may just be sitting around, but they're things that, you know, if I threw them away, I can never get them back if I ever wanted them again. And so I've always, yeah, told people the same thing. If it, if it means something to you, then keep it. Well, uh, and and now that I'm older and wiser, it's also not particularly smart to throw away valuable things when you could sell them. (laughs) uh, Right, right. So so that I figured out also. On dreams recycled, uh, is, is that, are those items available for purchase or giveaway or, okay. Yeah, they're available for purchase. And, you know, it doesn't even matter how much money it is. If you're getting rid of them and you make some money and that money, you can go yeah. to new dreams. It's like win, 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 right? Totally. Um, totally. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody like a divorcee who really is attached to things? I mean, it, it like no rhyme or reason to it. But, you know, some people's personality is they just really kind of have a lot of things. I, don't, I know you probably know people. I know people you walk into their house and you're like, good Lord. Like, <laughs> where did all this stuff come from? Yeah. And so yeah. How, how do they even start that process? What do they pick and choose first or what should they be thinking? That's a, that's a really good question. The first, let's see, I had a couple thoughts. The first, the first thing, and this is a strategy I like to use with people, and it's a, I, I call it different things, but it's a yes, no, and maybe um, self, self assessment. Mm-hmm. If you're going, if you're going through things in your home, let's say, like, I'll just grab this. I have, I have this plant, okay, and let's say I bought this with my ex spouse, and, um, you know, it's. It brings about good memories, even though I have bad memories of our relationship, but it brings about good memories. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually want to keep it. My, what I usually say is, if your first initial response or answer to whether or not you should keep something, if it's a yes, it's a yes. Okay. If it's a no, it's a no. Right. <laughs> if, if it's a maybe, it's a no. Ah, okay. That's a really good so, way of looking at it, right? Because you, if you pick, yeah, if you pick this up and think, I don't know if I want it. I kind of do. It's a no, and then you move on. If it's basically, if it's not a hundred percent yes, if you don't, if you're not sure, mm-hmm. then it's then it's a no. It's yes or no. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's one strategy I'd use. No, and I mean I think that's that's powerful too, right? Because if you don't have instantly powerful yes to it that probably tells you everything you need to know it's like you know most of the advice i give people about divorce if they ask me the question they usually already know the answer right yeah totally do so that's they their do. mind kind of saying okay there's something not quite right about that item so i should mm-hmm. so in another thing sorry it's okay are you still there my phone yeah. had like the low battery thing but i think we're good okay. um 
the other thing I tell people to do is, is just take a picture of the item. So mm -hmm. I was going through my mom's storage unit because she had a storage unit she was spending a ton of money on. And mm -hmm. I was helping her clear everything out of there. And of course, we went back and found all my baby stuff, like stuffed animals from when I was a baby Aww. and blankets and clothes. And she's kept them for 30 years. But um, for me, I just said, you know what, like this, I know it means a lot to you. I don't necessarily remember it, but you know, this is taking up space. It's not something I'm going to carry around with me. So I just decided to take pictures of it. And I took different dimensions of the pictures, you know, so I kind of flipped the item around so I can yeah. see the whole thing. And, you know, if I ever want to remember, then I have a picture of it. I'd rather, you know, I'm not fond of digital clutter per se, but I'd rather have a picture than mm -hmm. a physical item laying around. It's easier to manage and, and, you know, kind of put away. So that's another thing is take a picture of it and then get rid of the item itself. And you yeah. still have a memory of it. Well, I love that one. So I, nothing to do with divorce, just to do with life. Um, and you, you have little children, so you're in this phase and going to be more in this phase shortly. I mean, I can't even tell you how many pieces of paper I have with macaroni stuck on them. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, preschool, uh, kindergarten, whatever. And um, somebody actually told me that way before my divorce. They were like, oh, no, we don't keep everything. You know, like the mom at school who's good at everything. It was one of those yeah. moms. Yeah. <laughs> and she, said, she said, just take a picture of them all. And that's what I've done. And, you know, instead of having, you know, totes and great big things of paper, because also paper doesn't really, like, live very long, does it? Like, mm -hmm. it's gross, especially yeah. in Florida anyway. And so that's what I've done. So that's a really good idea, though. I've never thought of doing it with objects, too, but that makes sense, right? If you're not sure, you know, you know you had it, you have a picture of it, and let it go. Yeah, totally. Okay. So how do you um, – you work with a lot of leaders, and you help them kind of through mental illness, et cetera. And um, – how does that play into the getting rid of your stuff? Like what, besides the fact that you said earlier, you said like it helps you think clearer, but is there like a bigger picture to that somehow? Yeah, of course. And with, with mental health, this is a huge part of the message I share is right now, the World Health Organization estimates that there's $1 trillion lost each year in productivity due to depression and anxiety in the workplace, a oh, trillion wow. dollars. That's crazy. So, so I take this message of mental health and illness and, and leadership and how, you know, we can make the organizations better and minimalism and bring it to the fact that the more that we have to deal with, the more we're wasting our time on, the more distractions that we have. Um, if, you know, the more we let things overwhelm us and burden us and stress us out and keep us anxious and upset or frustrated and in any of that that's mm -hmm. going, going to affect our productivity that's going to affect our engagement in the workplace that's going to affect overall sales or revenue and culture for the whole company so it all begins with the individual right if we have a bunch of individuals that are all dealing with a bunch of crap in their lives that's going to affect the entire organization that's going to affect the leaders or if you have a leader coming in who's dealing with all this junk and they can't keep their life in order, they can't keep their, their desk in order, their business in order, that's, that's going to affect everything, every outcome of the business, mm -hmm. and especially performance, everything. So that's where I tie it into, if you want to be the most productive, if you want to perform you know, at your peak level, you want to reach your best performance, you want to be the most focused, most engaged, 
uh, you want to build a supportive culture, then you need to take care of things on your own terms first. That way you can help others do the same. And then the entire organization and business thrives. So that makes, to makes total sense, right? Yeah. Because you look at the kind of stressful lives we all live anyway. And, and to me, it's like, you know, a lot of us don't realize it, be walking around on, you know, borderline breaking point. You're not really sure. <laughs> Right. There's this kind of like, you know, while everything's okay, it's okay. And I think that's why, you know, there's so much situational depression on top of clinical depression. And, you know, whether it's point. like you were saying about, you know, your father passing or people getting divorced or losing a job or whatever it is. And so we really are a kind of you know, society of people that we're really, really good at an awful lot of things, but managing our stress is not one of them. Nope. <laughs> it's definitely not. No. And, and anything that kind of is changed, takes you off the path that you thought you were on, you know, affects your psyche in any way can often kind of put you in this state. But as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, how great would it be if actually all these people who are walking around kind of on the brink that you don't know you're on the brink, you know, if they kind of went with the minimalist, minimalistic approach and with the healthiest they could be mentally and the strongest, they'd probably be in a much better position when or if adversity struck, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, w I wish I would have found it before because I, not that it would have, uh, not, I don't know, not to say it would have been easier necessarily, but I think it would have been different mm -hmm. um, if, if I would have been using some of these principles before I had lost my dad or before I was diagnosed with these things. And yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think it would have a good, a, amazing impact. So as somebody who has had a lot of adversity in their life, what do you think is something that you could tell people who are going through adversity now? Like what are the three things that they should focus on most? three things they need to focus on most. The first one that comes to mind is that it's okay to feel the way you feel when something happens. That's, um, that's very important, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, if you lose a job, I've also lost jobs on multiple occasions. Uh, if you lose a person in your life, whether it's to death or divorce or somebody moved my last night, found out my youngest sister, her best friend's moving out of state and she was, distraught and crying for hours last night you know um it's to understand that you're human and it's okay to have the reactions and the emotions that you feel mm -hmm. um you know it when it gets to a point where you can't let that go and you stay in that low place for a long time uh, that's when it becomes an issue but to say you know if you lose somebody in your life that you should overcome it and be more powerful right away and things like that that's that's just not the human way of reacting and, and I don't think it's healthy to react that way and just move on from whatever mm -hmm. it is. So I think taking that time to whatever it is, if it's grieving, if it's letting go, if it's just feeling what you're feeling, like just let that happen. The next thing is to find ways to obviously get through that. So take the time. And then once you feel like you've taken that time mm -hmm. before it drags on too long and keeps you when you start noticing your life isn't is kind of on hold and you know you need to move forward, then go out and find things that will actually help you get out of that state. Whether it's, you know, maybe you do need to go into a doctor and get tested. Maybe you, maybe you have to have medication. 
Maybe you find meditation, maybe you find minimalism or other essentialism or any of these other philosophies. Uh, maybe you just need to take more time for you. Maybe you need to play an instrument. You need to start a different hobby, whatever it is. Um, do something like that. And then the third is to, I would say, be ready at some point to share your story uh, because whatever it is you're going through, it's going to be an opportunity for you when you do overcome it or get through it. Sometimes you don't overcome it. You just get through it. Uh, it's going to be an opportunity for you to share with other people who are going through the same things or people who will be going through the same things. So off the top of my head, those are the three things. No, and they're great, right? They're all so important. It's important to acknowledge that you don't, you know, that you are grieving and that's important obviously to heal through that. And then, as you said at the very last one, it's really important that, you know, you're ready to share your story because if you're not ready to share your story, you're probably not there yet and you probably need to do some more work on that. But um, I, I share my story con continuously and I know you do too. And I, I think people forget that how healing that actually is. Like, you know, I'd like to say I'm a saint and I just do it because I love everyone else. <laughs> but, but it's really, but it's powerful within yourself also, right? that you're helping other people and, and and it goes like hand in hand with that, that by helping other people, you're helping yourself even more. It's powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, tell us where we can find your book. You can find my book on Amazon. It's available on all the Amazon markets. There's, I don't know, however many there are, 10, 12, 15. Mm -hmm. um, it, they are available on Amazon all over the world. It's, I do have my original book, Minimalize to Maximize Your Happiness, Cut the Crap, available there on Amazon. I also have a workbook edition, which oh, is cool. definitely more reflective. There's opportunities in there for exercises, list making, mm -hmm. goal setting. That's also available on Amazon. You can also find my book on my website, jakebeesandboymelton.com. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the places you'll find my book. The workbook sounds fabulous because I'm a big person yeah. on like practical actionary things. So that yeah. workbook sounds really good for the divorce community. Yeah, I've gotten, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, I just, I've received a lot of good feedback on it definitely because it's more interactive yeah. and uh, people have seemed to really enjoy that. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Well, you've been amazing. What a great guest you are and thank you so much. So where else can they find you? Can they find they you can, on social media or where? They can. Yeah, find me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, especially that's where I, I probably have the biggest presence is on LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you just search Jake Melton. I'm sure you'll I'll pop up and we'll put the links down below for the exact uh, you know, yeah, URLs. We'll, we'll link it back to the book. Yeah, or, or, just, my, or just my website again, jakebmelton.com. Okay. Well, thank you, Jake. You've been lovely. Thank you, and Tiffany. I'm glad to be here. You're very inspirational. I'm sure a lot of people found your story riveting and very hopeful. And so oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So are you, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. You're very inspiring and very motivating as well. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, we will keep up with you and let us know when you have a new book out. We'll be sure to have you back. You got it. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Jake.